by your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. I would like to remind everyone to stick around after service because we are having a baptism uh, for Darlene Cabral. So that's exciting. So uh, stick around after and celebrate with us what the Lord is doing. So we are in the middle of a series called Think, uh, Think Biblically. And this particular series is very important because we know we are taking part in a battle, a battle of good and evil. And we know that Satan plays a very clever game. And it is all rooted in us not thinking properly. Therefore, it is important that we let the Bible, which is the source of proper thinking, be our guide and define what good is and what evil is so we are not deceived by Satan. That is essentially this series, Think Biblically. And more specifically, right now, since Satan in particular is using certain deceptions to mislead humanity in certain particular ways, we are going to open our Bibles and address those specific deceptions head on. We are once again talking about uh, the gay and trans agenda. Last week, we overviewed everything generally, and we learned that really people partake in these types of sins because they fundamentally reject truth concerning God and who he is. We learned that they reject God as creator, that they reject the biblical description of God as holy, and they reject that God is our judge. Today, we are going more in-depth into the sin of homosexuality in particular, and the specifics of what the Bible says concerning this sin, and how destructive it actually is. Several weeks from now, due to Satan's intense deceptions in our culture, we will revisit this topic one last time and address this transgender and transsexual issue in greater detail. But today, we specifically focus on homosexuality. Now, as mentioned last week, and I highly uh, recommend listening to last week's message uh, if you have not already done so, as many of the questions will probably be clarified in that earlier sermon that might pop up in our heads. Uh, but as mentioned last week, we must remember three things uh, concerning, uh, as a preface to all of this concerning the topic in general. And I thought I put them in my slideshow, uh, but I do not see them here, so I'll remind us uh, just orally what they were. Uh, the first thing I, I had in our preface before we address the issue is that individuals are not the enemy. And we know that this is indeed the case uh, from verses like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. We know that we are uh, ambassadors to represent Jesus Christ to a lost world, and that the enemy is Satan. 
The enemy is the deceiver, not those who are deceived. And we drew that distinction. We also uh, spoke that these sins that we are addressing are not unpardonable sins. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we know that the sins at play here are in fact forgivable. The church of Corinth had former homosexuals as members of that church. And thus, it can be concluded that if you are dealing with these things, there is great grace and forgiveness that is offered to you. And the last distinction or, or clarification that we had spoken of is the difference between temptation and sin itself. We saw this come out in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Just because someone is tempted in certain ways does not mean that that person is committing a specific sin. Actions, as well as purposeful meditation on sinful things, I would group those two together, is different than mere temptation. And to disciple people properly, we must understand that distinction. And with these clarifications in mind, we approach several texts to give us more insight on the matter. So let's uh, read the Word of God. I'll, I'll read uh, it all myself today for the sake of time so we have enough time to uh, properly celebrate uh, our friend's baptism and have our break before our meeting. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are having some technical issues. There we go. Here we are, 128. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living being. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. He took from his side and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned it into a woman, what he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Uh, could you please advance a slide from the back? Oh, you have to uh, switch it? Okay. Uh, 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Why don't we, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say our prayer that I would normally say after the reading now, uh, as I believe uh, it may be, be helpful for us as, at this point to do that. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for the word. Uh, we thank you for the truth. And Lord, we pray that your word would be clear and powerful this morning, despite technical issues, despite uh, attention spans, Lord, that you would get through to the hearts and the souls of those who you have chosen, and you would reveal truth and transform us by the power of your word. 
Lord, bless this time and help us get through any technical difficulties that we may properly um, understand and hear your word and you may be glorified in this morning's message, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So I will go PowerPointless for now. Oh, look at that. We're good. Prayer works. To the ends of glorifying God, especially. So, is homosexuality wrong? What makes something wrong? Nowadays, the arbiter of morality is mistakenly been identified as our feelings. One's own feelings on a particular matter. If one feels something is right, then it is right. If one feels something is wrong, then it is wrong. Morality for the modern man is highly subjective. And that is a fundamental rejection of the Bible as the standard of right and wrong. And, and instead, uh, the modern man uses feelings to navigate moral duty. But this is a faulty standard. A lot of things that feel good actually can bring incredible harm. Right? You think of the person who is uh, addicted to alcohol and drinking. There is, in a moment a feel-good aspect to that wrong. Same thing with drug use. Same thing with the thrill of thievery. Moreover, things that feel good to one can bring harm to someone else. So what then do we do? Ironically, this moral theory is the foundation of rape, murder, and all sorts of evils. And even popular atheists today have said, subjective morality is unlivable. And so many theorists have added to this idea of morality that it, it has to feel right. They've added this caveat, it must not, also not cause harm. And I echo the sentiment, harm to oneself, harm to another is objectively wrong. But such a statement without God, is a mere foundationless description of morality at best, not a prescription of moral duty. It still does not answer the question, why? Why do we do what we do? You see, morality needs to be more than just how we feel on a matter, and we can add caveats all we want, but unless they're grounded in something, they're useless as, as far as actually giving us a reason why we should do these things. So what then, if not feelings and foundationless caveats, is the direct cause of something being right and wrong? And to that, there is a picture. I am going to go PowerPointless for the evening, okay? Uh, so I had put a picture up of this thing found in Paris at the Bureau of Measures and Weights, and there was a special bar that existed there at the Bureau of Measures and Weights. This bar was the bar by which all meters were measured by. This bar, by necessity of its own existence, to the molecular scale is exactly one meter. The length of the bar was the property of the bar itself. The meter was the paradigm of what a meter was exactly supposed to be. 
It was the standard. Any meter that was made after that was to replicate the original meter if it was to be a good meter. In theory, that is how it should have worked. And just as that bar existed as the standard of all other meters, God exists as the standard of all good. And he revealed who he is specifically in the written scriptures. It is not our feelings that determine these things, but God by necessity of his own nature and who he is. However, while feelings do not dictate good itself, God is not unconcerned with our feelings. And I would argue he very much in the end wants us to be happy, just happy in the right thing, himself. As the great Westminster Confession asserts, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The two are not mutually exclusive by any means. In fact, I would argue what gives one the maximal amount of happiness and fulfillment and enjoyment throughout all eternity, adding up essentially to an infinite sum of pleasure, is obedience, submission, and relationship to the one true God. Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, man was fulfilled, there was only good for humanity and on earth. This was only ruined when deception from the enemy crept in and we began to believe things that were not true. Now, what does all this have to do with homosexuality? Well, homosexuality is the same lie reskinned. Satan today is asserting the same old lies that outside of the biblical God's commands lay wonder and fulfillment. The word gay used to mean just happiness. It has been cleverly rebranded by the enemy in an attempt to allure the seeker into a trap that is actually destroying their fulfillment and enjoyment in God. The Bible's definitions of good, they're not arbitrary definitions. God is not out to ruin our happiness, but he is out to call to repentance and accept himself and fulfill, fulfill all of our longest urges and desires and who he is. Homosexuality is stealing fulfillment found in obedience and relationship to the biblical God, and it is thus a grave and evil deception causing great harm. Humanity cannot see it, but when two consent to do homosexual acts, there is harm caused. It is not a victimless crime. It is not something that does not cause damage or injury. There are grave consequences to these things, and it is prohibited for a reason, for our good, for our happiness. The harm, the vileness, the sinfulness of these acts are real. And the scripture explains in great detail uh, what exactly the kind of damage it does is. So why is homosexuality wrong? Well, God, the standard, said it in, in the word. And so it demands judgment in order for justice to be upheld, as we'll look at later. But let us not pretend homosexuality is, is deemed wrong randomly or arbitrarily. It causes great harm. 
the Bible describes several ways which homosexuality actually damages and destroys things. And they are up on the screen, so praise God. It destroys our wholeness. It destroys the image God intends. It destroys our relationship and duty to God. And it destroys us through judgment in the end. So we're going to go through these and see um, in, more, in greater detail how this plays out from the scriptures. It destroys our wholeness. Where does this come from? In the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and 22, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the man. For the first time since creation, here in Genesis 2, God says, Something is not good. According to this passage, man needed something. He needed a helper. He was alone, and it was mentioned as a bad thing. He needed someone suitable for him, someone suitable to help him. Adam was incomplete and alone. The animals would not do, so God, knowing best as creator, knew Adam should not be alone. Now, we could have a different Bible, one which verse 22 reads, The Lord God fashioned another man, or two women, or any other combination of potential plethora of sentient beings that God could have possibly created. For he is all-powerful and could create whatever he wanted. But God knew exactly what man needed to be complete. For biblical union and wholeness brought forth by another person to be legitimately good, God, the good and perfect doctor treating Adam's loneliness, prescribes woman, not man. This does not mean, by the way, and I need to briefly mention this, this does not mean if you're single, you're incomplete, so to speak. We know from 1 Corinthians 7 that being single can be a good thing. From Matthew 19, that being single can be a fantastic thing to advance the kingdom of God. But, and, and you know what, as a matter of fact, it is an amazing route for someone who's dealing with homosexuality to consider this route. That's a biblical route for such a person to consider. But you see, if marriage is your lot, if you were made for someone else, if you want to be in a close and intimate relationship with another human, you are completed through the opposite sex, through God's definition of marriage. And it's defined as a man and a woman. In, in other words, anyone who feels they ought to pursue marriage, who feels a longing for a relationship with another person, is, and that's vital and important to who they are, you are not going to find that in the same sex. You will only find such union and such complete completeness in the opposite sex, no matter how hard you try. And let's back up for a moment here. Uh, this idea of needing help, of not being whole, it means something is lacking. For example, we all have these little devices. If I took my phone and I were to take a laser beam and cut it in half, and I only had the bottom half of my phone... That would be a pretty useless phone, and that phone would be incomplete, not whole, lacking something, 
right? Now, if I took the exact same bottom piece and duplicated it, I would now have not a complete phone, but two incomplete phones. You see, God did not want to make another man, for he knew he would simply have two beings who were not complete, two beings who were lacking. Two lonely people, God made woman specially to fulfill the loneliness man had. He wanted the other true half, the better true half. Sometimes the root of this sin is more than merely sexual lust, though certainly not less. It is in fact more often than realized a sort of sinful pride in one's own temperament and dispositions rooted in one's naturally born sex. What do I mean? Well, in theory... Wholly apart from the lust aspect, a man who believes he is in a marriage with another man, in fact, has come to the incorrect conclusion that what completes him is someone who is like him. No abrasiveness, no stark variance that are brought about by inherent gender differences, no contrast. But is that really complete? That seems to be the same part. Likewise, any homosexual woman can come to the same conclusion. But this is not the sort of wholeness humanity needs. We need a wholeness with contrast. And homosexuality ruins this need in humanity, and it causes damage to us. Genesis 2, 18 and 24, the Lord God said, I will make him a helper suitable for him. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <clears throat> Friends, it is no miracle to be the same and to be one. It is no wondrous thing to behold. But it is a wondrous thing, however, to be different and to be truly one. Completing the other person and functioning with a purpose. God joined dissimilarity. Homosexuality is not completeness. It is not true unity the way it ought to be. The two, man and his counterpart, woman, become one flesh. That is the miracle of what marriage is. Though they are different, though they are two distinct things, they are one. They are brought together as one unit in the eyes of God. That is the beauty of it. That is what makes it what it is. So homosexuality does indeed cause harm to those who partake. It causes a false sense of completeness, leaving one, in a sense, truly alone. And miserable. It ruins the happiness of man and leaves one in the state of Genesis 2.18 not good, alone. It leaves one missing out on the specialness of contrast found in the biblical description of marriage. So homosexuality, it harms our wholeness, it harms our completeness, but it also harms the very portrait God is trying to paint of himself. It destroys God's intended image. The intended image God is trying to put forth. And we already talked about and saw a glimpse of how beautiful this image actually is. For those who think that Jesus 
would approve a homosexual marriage, you simply do not have the biblical description of Jesus. Jesus reaffirms exactly what is recorded in Genesis. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two, man and woman, shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is clear and even affirms that this one flesh marriage between a man and a woman is not something that was merely invented by humans or even necessary to evolve, though that is as well necessary to to grow, right? But it is something ordained and established and created by God himself. Jesus is clear in his description. Marriage, you see, while intending to complete us, as it mentioned before, does not belong to us. Jesus reaffirms it belongs to God. And we touched on this a little last week when we mentioned God as creator, right, and the right to define things belongs to that creator. Any artist knows that their work of art is their creation, and it reveals, to an extent, a part of them. Otherwise, anyone could make it. It wouldn't truly be art in the truest sense of the form. So, uh, if you're an artist, you are getting something inside of you out. That is the idea. That is what is going on. And God is the great artist who's getting something, getting his nature revealed out of himself, through this thing he has created called marriage. God wants to display himself in marriage, and that marriage is with one man and one woman. And one can claim, by the way, to be married and be in a homosexual relationship, but the government's recognition of marriage may arguably be a necessary condition, but it is certainly not a sufficient condition More is required than government recognition, for a true marriage is established by God, and scripturally speaking, it is defined here, a man and a woman. That is the picture the great Lord, the great artist, wanted to create. That is it. And what we have in a homosexual relationship is a watered-down version of God's establishment, a less-than-perfect picture. It is an attempt of a picture of a beautiful sunset with no horizon and two grounds, one on top of the other, and still claiming it is a sunset. It is not. It is something different. It is not marriage. Biblical marriages capture a certain aspect of who he is. It captures his relationship with the church, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. It arguably catches certain aspects of the beautiful contrast, yet wholeness found in his Trinitarian nature, right? It is a mirror. We, We are to mirror what he is. That is what the purpose of marriage is that is what our goals are. We have a moral duty for humanity as a whole to uphold marriage as holy since it came from God. And this again affirms, is all affirmed, 
by Jesus in Matthew 19. Contrary to what most think, homosexuality does indeed cause harm. It harms the wholeness of mankind. It harms the beautiful image God is trying to create of himself through marriage. And you see why it's important that we're doing this series and and clarifying on these topics? Because marriage is established and created by God, and thus the the Bible-believing Christian ought to uphold what the Bible teaches, even in the face of cultural variance, in order to proclaim what makes the biblical God different than every other God in the world. People are so confused about who he is. And marriage, friends, is a picture that points directly to the biblical God. That is why this is important. There is an image at stake that the Lord is trying to create. And it must be made and maintained with a view that it is holy. And not to be changed. You do not change the work of the great artist. The image of God, he, he wants to, the very image God wants to portray is at stake. It's God's image, image. God established it, and therefore homosexuality, even beyond harming us, harms a picture of God. That's why Satan's going after it. And It does so much harm, even by this world's definition of foundationless, oh, it must feel good and not harm anyone. It is evil, even by their standards. It's caused great harm. But it also destroys our relationship and duty to God. Our relationship with God, necessarily because he is God, the great being in authority over all things, necessarily involves duty and obedience to God. When you are disobedient, there is a tension in the relationship with the creator. You are not following what you ought to do. You are rejecting God as God and thus ruining your relationship with God. And we learned last week that God cannot look upon impure things. He cannot look upon evil and call it good. There will be a lack of relationship with the biblical God. You might be able to have a relationship with some crazy God you made up in your head, but it will not be the true God. This sin harms every single individual's relationship with the one true God if it is pursued. The true biblical God has given us duties to fulfill and prohibitions against certain things. And what these things are, his will, what he wants from us, is communicated clearly in the scripture. And there are two two things that we're really going to look at. We're going to look at the prohibition itself, but we are also looking at a command to do something. So there's a command to stay away from something and a command to do something. Let's start with the command to do something. Homosexuality harms our duty to do a positive command. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's a lot of uh, emphasis on him creating, huh? God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is a command, 
an imperative that is given from God. And last week we know God is creator, definer, and so has ownership over us. He has commanded that one man and one woman in the context of marriage multiply and fill the earth. This command cannot be properly obeyed unless the marriage is between one man and one woman. This is obvious. Scientists could not argue against this point. A man being with a man and a woman being with a woman is actively disobedient to fulfilling the command as intended. Moreover, God has placed through necessity in nature, an indicator for us to measure goodness regarding certain sexual ethics. That indicator is itself sexual reproduction. And there is a Christian philosopher of ethics. I read a paper recently, and I couldn't help but share some of this with you, by Dr. Tim Shaw, which is entitled Natural Law Theory, and it greatly supports this description, and I think sheds some insight Uh, on, on this matter. He says, something is good by functioning as it should. Good firefighters, good cars, good orange trees are all good in the sense they are fulfilling or producing their respective ends. Fighting fires, transporting people, producing oranges. Something is bad when it does not bring about its proper ends. Like he compared it to a judge He said, you can be a good judge by bringing about justice, or you would be considered a bad judge if you sentenced an innocent man to, to prison. He argues then that the purpose of sex, and I, I agree, is unity and procreation. We already understand how homosexuality and its behavior doesn't support unity and wholeness from our earlier point. But now we see it fails this second purpose as well. There is inability to procreate. Therefore, we have an indication in nature that something is wrong here. Now, again, I must mention nuance and be, and be nuanced here. For there is a possibility for a man and a woman to be unable to have children. But there is a difference. And that difference lies in intentionality. You see, a judge may be a bad judge because he looked at the data and came to an incorrect conclusion because he's a less-than-perfect person living in a less-than-perfect world. But there is a sense in which a judge would be a bad judge in an even truer sense of the word bad if he intentionally sentenced someone he knew was innocent to jail. You see? So there is certain distinctions that must be made here as we look at this. And there's an awful lot that could be said here, and unfortunately there's not enough time to discuss it all, but needless to say, intentional homosexual acts are bad in that they actively reject natural law theory, throwing away God's natural indication of what good sex should produce, and moreover, is a direct violation of the command the Lord made clear in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Firstly, it harms our ability to follow a command. But moreover, and secondly, it harms our ability to stay away from a prohibition. So far, we've looked at sin in terms of positive things God has established and intended for mankind. But if that's not clear enough, 
The Bible directly mentions homosexuality as sin to be avoided. Now let me preface all this by saying every sin that is sexual is something that is to be avoided, be it heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. Right? Hebrews tells us that marriage and we know that's between a man and a woman, is to be honored. And there are ways to even distort the image of marriage between a man and a woman through fornication, through adultery. So before heterosexual people feel off the hook, please realize that every sexual sin is very serious and it is clearly prohibited. Uh, prohibited. Nevertheless, homosexual activity is what we're discussing this morning due to Satan's current deceptions in our culture. And it is all identified in the Bible, which is God's word, as sin. We go to Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a man as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And this is a command. There is no wiggle room here. This is not even in, in sight of marriage, because we know marriage is defined between a man and a woman, this is any sexual relations at all. Any intimate sexual physical relationship is what is in view here, meaning homosexuals are prohibi prohibited from sex with the same sex altogether. It's called an abomination. Now, let it be known that there are many abominations mentioned throughout Scripture Kings who do wicked acts, Proverbs 16.12, uses the same Hebrew word. Inappropriate sacrifices, child sacrifices, various sexual acts. All abominations. But, nonetheless, homosexuality, biblically speaking, must be recognized alongside all of these sins as an abomination, as something loathsome. Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man lies with a man Excuse me, if there is a man who lies with a man as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, they shall be put to death. This is a serious prohibition, which in ancient times would result in the death penalty. Death penalty, that's reserved for serious matters. A serious prohibition is, that must be recognized. You see, our relationship to God is damaged through homosexual behavior. It becomes impossible to obey the biblical God. And so people, again, make their own versions of God, but they have damaged their relationship with the real biblical God when they fail to do the command they ought to do and to stay away from that which they should stay away from. Thus, we look behind us and see a tornado's worth of damage from this sin. Our own completeness, the image of God that was intended, our relationship and duty to God. And we just read some pretty severe descriptions from Leviticus, including the death penalty. The enemy would want nothing more than these verses to offend you in such a way to result in the suppression of truth and therefore rejection of forgiveness offered in God's grace. God wants to forgive people of these things. But God cannot forgive someone who sees no need to ask for forgiveness. He cannot restore such a person in the proper way. We must recognize our failures in following these commands. Satan wants to steal that relationship with God offered through forgiveness by making man think they are right in their own eyes and see them judged. That is the goal. And so we move to 
on and see the ultimate effects of ignoring our moral duties. This next section could also be identified as the end goal of promoting homosexuality in culture. This is the hidden agenda behind it all. This is the ultimate harm homosexuality brings. It destroys us through judgment. Indeed, God is a God of great grace. If God wasn't gracious, the Apostle Paul himself did many detestable acts. He killed people and persecuted Christians, thus persecuting Christ himself. But even he did not die, for he could be forgiven. Romans indicates the wages of sin is death. But Christ's payment can cover the cost. So before we go overboard with the death penalty and feeling really, really attacked, remember our clarifications. Sin is not unpardonable. These verses, though quite blunt and tough, should convict one to repentance. Therefore, forgiveness and canceled debt should result, meaning though we ought to die, we won't. However, if one continues in sin, the Lord judges that person. And I'm going to move along quickly here because we're almost out of time. Actually, we technically are. <laughs> so, Romans 1, 18-22, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart were darkened. Com uh, they proclaimed to be wise. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now, this is interesting. In Romans 1, uh, that we're about to look at, God's, it's all about God's judgment. And where does this all begin? Not honoring God as God, withholding honor, and not thanking God, claiming to be wise, but in reality being a fool. This is really what we covered last week to an extent, so we won't spend too much time here. The scripture continues, verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their woman exchanged natural function for that which is unnatural and likewise the men. This phrase, God gave them over, is used so many times in this portion of scripture. One form of judgment against those who reject God, one sign of judgment, is he eventually says, go ahead. You man who suppress truth, go ahead. Try to find wholeness in another man. Go ahead. Try to paint a better picture than me. He lets an exchange take place, says the scripture. In a bad exchange, in judgment, he lets them exchange diamonds for a ball of mud. And in this exchange, the happiness quest, the quest to be fulfilled that many are actually on becomes futile. And in this life, they are left wanting and they are dishonored and they are depraved in how they think. In scripture, it says that God allows them for this to happen for judgment's sake. To dishonor themselves. This word dishonor has the idea with it of not having recognized value. They traded something valuable for something worthless. We become, anytime we sin, we become pigs playing in filthy mud when the royal treatment is available. 
you think you're happy sinning, go ahead. But it is you who miss out on true life. And I, I know we're on time here, but the word of God is important and it must be made clear. Okay? We have about three minutes, we'll wrap up. But I'm, I'm loving this. I love the word of God. Romans 1, 32. Here's, we'll move along. Romans 1, 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is culture, giving hearty approval to those who are practicing wickedness and sinfulness, a culture that celebrates sinful desires. They are celebrating their intentional leaving out of God, out of their lives. They are celebrating their lack of relationship with the biblical God, and there is nothing more tragic than this. That's why it is described as a form of the wrath of God being revealed in, in verse 18. We cannot let people believe a lie that distorts the biblical picture of the only true God of, of the Bible, Yahweh. We can't let people be content thinking two plus two is five and being miserable for it. That is why this series is happening. Not because we hate people being happy, but because we love people being happy. So there is a form of judgment where it will result in even just being depraved in this life and your way of thinking and how you operate, but in the end, there is an eternal judgment. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And Satan loves deceiving, doesn't he? Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, or homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. You are deceived if you think an unrepentant, practicing homosexual with no conviction is going to enter heaven. Jude 1.7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them indulged in gross immor immorality and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Homosexuality will be punished eternally. Eternally. No second chance. Revelation 21.8, the unbelieving and the abominable, which we know this sin was described as an abomination, and the murderers and the immoral persons and the sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Not only are you deceived in this life, not only are you depraved in your thinking in this life, but there is an eternal judgment to come. Pursuing lies, seeking to be complete in something that can never complete you, but also the horror of realizing for all eternity that you are missing out on God himself. The thing that can satisfy you in this life, the thing you are searching for, and the thing that will satisfy and could satisfy you for all eternity. That is why this sin is bad. It is taking balls of mud over diamonds. So those who think it's not bad, realize this morning homosexuality damages so much. It destroys so much. It destroys our wholeness found in the opposite sex, the image God intended, the relationship and duty to, uh, to God. 
And thus, what naturally flows from that, if such things are true, if all these things are truly wrong, then in the end it will result in a necessary judgment of these things in hell forever. That is the goal of Satan. What are you thinking? I pray God has not yet given us over to a depraved way of thinking. I pray you seek the best, and the best is God himself. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. Oh Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit convicts us. Oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit makes, makes us new, transforms us, opens our eyes to see the glory of who you are. If you don't know Jesus this morning, he wants relationship with you. He wants you to see how wonderful he is and that he can satisfy and fulfill every need and every desire you have. If only you would just admit that he is that thing you long for, that it is not homosexual acts, but it is fulfillment in Christ himself. Jesus Christ came and was God and is God and died and took the penalty, that death penalty we talked about. He took it for your sake that you wouldn't have to. And then he rose from the grave and lives forever and we can worship him and, and enjoy him for all eternity. I pray that you would accept this. If, if you're thinking about these things, please find someone, myself, an elder, a deacon, and talk to them. Jesus, we love you and we pray that you would be honored in our lives. We love you, God. We pray for a wonderful week until we meet again in Christ.